0: Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. I was just outside with the kids, we were sort of filming some stuff, and they're all lined up on the blue line, the outline of the building, from this big to sixth grade. And, uh, and I just high-fived him all the way around. It's actually a very big building. <laughs> we are uh, looking at the final words of Hebrews. It's really a serious sermon. Written to a group of Jews who had become Christians. So they had this sort of beginning spiritual experience. But now, because things are difficult, they are considering abandoning the faith. Abandoning Christ. He is, the writer of Hebrews has presented faith as a relationship with Christ He's pictured it as his journey. So uh, the journey is a journey to the city, uh, hence our title. And it has a beginning and it has an end. And we've been looking at it and sort of, here. here's our city verse. We have no lasting city here. So we seek a city that is to come. That's the big city. And so there is this sort of journey from where we are here on the earth to this uh, city here. It's a lasting, eternal, ult- it's our ultimate home. Philippians 3 says we're, our citizenship is in heaven. And so, uh, so we're always aliens, sort of. We're foreigners here. And we're seeking a city that's everlasting. Now, last week, when I sort of recapped Hebrews... Uh, I should have known this, that we'd probably have to backtrack and explain a few things, because when you're in the book of Hebrews, I mean, it's, it's a tough book. It's, it's not Christianity 101. And so it's, it shouldn't be too alarming that we have to sort of stop and explain a few things, because I assumed a number, number of things last week in, the, uh, in sort of the recap. Catching us back up from last semester, but there's a few things to address as it relates, especially to eternal security. Uh, you know the phrase "once saved, always saved." What, what what do we do with that? How does it fit into Hebrews? And another thing we have to deal with is this other this community element. I've decided to take the community element. I was going to address both today, but I think I'm just going to address one. And the community one, I'm going to wait till next week when we actually look at thirteen seven you know, the first part of that. So I'm going to save that one. It's a very important issue on, on this community element. In case you're you know, frustrated by the idea of what community is, we need to tease that out. But in the meantime, let's stop and ask uh, a few questions about this issue of eternal security. Uh, and so I'm going to do that by asking three other questions. I'm going to ask three questions. I'm going to ask... Uh, what does abandoning the faith look like and then i 'm going to say and then i 'm going to ask what what does accepting the faith look like and then i 'm going to say, how does that apply to us right here in this room, right here in fort Worth? What does that mean so uh, let 's let 's start by saying this at some point you You put your faith in Christ for salvation. And then somewhere down the road, you start to drift away from it. It, You're a little disobedient. Your heart, very potentially, this is is a very scary time in the life of a believer when their faith is weak. When they're doing what they want to do. Because what can happen, and the writer of Hebrews suggests this, is your heart can harden and that disobedience sort of turns into unbelief and pretty soon you're just gone. That's what he's describing in this book. That's his concern. Now, the way that looks to some degree is, in in Hebrews, in the New Testament, you, you you leave the group. You know, when your faith starts to get weak, showing up, is one of the last things you want to do. You don't want to be around people whose faith is strong. You don't want to be around people who encourage you. You don't want to be around people who don't feel the same way you do. And so you just, you just sort of drift. Now, the illustration that he uses of this is the children of Israel. That's sort of the image he uses at the beginning of the book, and I told you that that sort of looks like this. Now they started in Egypt, children of Israel. Uh, God had this, they had this incredible experience. Animal sacrifice, blood on the doors, angel of death coming through. It avoids them because the blood is on the doorposts. They, they get to pass through the Red Sea. They enter the wilderness, and the goal was to get them to the promised land. Do you remember how stubborn and difficult they were uh, for God to deal with? So they experienced this great experience at the beginning. There's, it's supposed to be a long journey, but in the middle somewhere, they start drifting. And you know, what it looked like for them to drift Um, you get tired in the wilderness. Um, There are things that appeal to you that aren't very godly and the world appeals to you. You get opposition. Some people that are not for the decision you've made. The costs and the sacrifices start mounting. And you're not sure if you want to keep going. You're just not sure. Now, uh, chapter three in verse 18, I believe, says this. Remember what he said to that group in the wilderness? You will never enter the rest because you were disobedient. And that disobedience was because of unbelief. That's the picture. It's really hard to separate these two we have lots of people that think they believe, but live the way they want to live. The wilderness is my time. God, you had your time at the beginning. I'll give you your time at the end when I get to heaven. But in the middle, I'm going to do what I want. That's the image. And that's what he's concerned about. Now, he says, you know, we, all, we all recognize this. The reason it's called rest is because it's an exhausting journey. When you get to heaven, that's rest. There's fatigue, struggle. It's difficult, and they they don't enter in. Remember, they they die. All this generation, all the generation that left here does not get in there. Just you know, uh, two families. And if they didn't enter the rest in the Old Testament because they started out well but didn't finish, how much worse do you think it is in the New Testament when Jesus is on the scene and you accept him and then reject him? That's what the Hebrews are dealing with. Their situation our situation is far worse than their situation. Because, the writer of Hebrews says, and if you wonder what the book of Hebrews is about, how do I convince a group of people today not to, not to quit? Well, he's going to tell that group of people, this is what Hebrews is about. Let me show you how much better you have it than they had it. He's like the grumpy old man. Let me tell you how much better you have it right now. So, you'll see these words used a lot in Hebrews. There's a better message than the one the angels gave. There's a better leader than Moses. There's a better priesthood than Aaron. There's a better covenant than the old covenant. There's a better sanctuary than the earthly one. There should be uh, here another sacrifice. There's a sacrifice that's better than the Old Testament animals. There's a better way to God, he'll say. There's a better city. There's a better life. Using the word better every time. It's better. So, the, essentially the message is, because God's son has been sent, and because Jesus is so much better, so superior, To quit and to give up is to commit an act so devastating to the soul that it's beyond repair. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. So please don't give up. That's his message. Now, let me show you a text That really helps you see this in chapter 10. Here's basically what I described in the verses themselves. For if we deliberately or willfully keep on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Now I just want you to know this is chapter 10. He has just spent 8 through 10 telling you how superior Jesus is as a sacrifice. So if we keep on willfully sinning, After we know the wonder of who Jesus is. There can be no further sacrifice for sins. In other words, God's saying, I can't help you. If you pass on the most superior thing that I could do on your sinful behalf. I have nothing else to give you if you reject my son. Do you see that? All I can tell you is that there is a fearful, literally, better word is terrifying, a terrifying expectation of judgment because God is a consuming fire. We've been seeing that in Hebrews 12. I know this is a hard message to get in church today. We like, we like cozy marshmallow. I know. I'm with you. I understand. But he's saying That's the last thing you want to do. Do you know the reason why believers are joyfully looking for Christ's return? It's because we know we're not going to be judged at the end of it. We're not condemned at the end of it. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have that hope. That's what he's saying. He says, so now let me me give you some perspective. Someone who rejected the law of Moses, they were put to death in that, society with, with no, without mercy by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You know, they'd bring people to court and say, yeah, Johnny's worshiping idols. He's, he's bailed on God. This is the text they're referring to. Because in the Old Testament, they had capital punishment. It was a theocracy. And so, you were put to death for that if you lived in Moses' day. Before Jesus, How much greater punishment do you think the person deserves who now has contempt? uh, I'll explain what that word means in just a second. Literally, trampled on the Son of God and profanes the blood of the covenant that sanctified him or made him holy and insults the Spirit of grace. The reason it's a much greater punishment is because it's a much greater salvation. It's a much greater provision. It's so much higher, which means the stakes are so much higher. And the rejection means so much more. It was one thing to have rejected God in the Old Testament. To reject him in the New Testament after he sent his son. Listen, trampled on the son of God. He has just spent three chapters talking about how Christ is so elevated and what you did was put him under your feet and stomp on him. That's what the word means. So you took him from way up here. This is what you're doing to him. You take him and you put him down there and you stomp on him. And then you take his blood and you treat it like it was the blood of anything. Eh, that, that's not special blood. And then you insult literally the spirit which applies God's grace, his power and his presence in your life that apply God's grace to your life. that's And, and this, these are pretty much put in order. This is probably the worst thing you can do in your New Testament. It's literally kick out the spirit who takes all these things and applies them to your, to your heart. So the writer of Hebrews is just... At the beginning of the book, when he starts the book, here's how it sounds. Just hear this. Therefore... We must pay closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. That's the message of the book. Does everybody know what they heard? Because I don't know if we're hearing the same thing. And he's concerned that you might be thinking something he's not. And if you don't, you'll drift. And so he writes, for if the message spoken through angels, which, by, by the way, the way the New Testament looks back at the Old Testament, all the revelation that was presented in the Old Testament, all the information that came from God, was mediated primarily overall through angels. So that's a way to summarize all that was shown everyone in the Old Testament. For the message spoken through the angels proved to be so firm that every violation or disobedience received a just penalty. It was still clear revelation. You were still rejecting God when you heard it, and you rejected it. But verse 3, chapter 2. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation of the one that Christ has provided for us? That's the message. So, you drift. You just drift away from it. You have a great beginning. Something happens in the middle. You just slowly drift away from the faith. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean to accept the faith? In what, what's the message we should have heard? What what, what did we get? Uh. Because what this has produced for us is a a big, large group of people who think they're still on the journey, still have something to do with God because they had a really good beginning, but their middle is awful. Their middle is sort of slowly drifting away from God. So then, what should I have heard here? Because there's a lot of people who have started and still imagine that they're gonna finish well. That they're gonna be okay in the end. This is what it's created sort of in our present culture. In our present culture, just a little unique twist on it than the one in Hebrews. For us, we have this incredible beginning. But we all are pretty sure that because of what happened here, we'll be okay here. And he's trying to argue, no, 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 the middle matters. The middle matters. Which means we have to figure out how to live the spiritual life in the middle, So we're going to have to talk about that. But in the meantime, let's talk about the beginning for a second and realize what did we hear here that made us think we could abandon in the middle and still show up at the end like I know I'm not, (laughs) I know I'm the last one in, but somehow I made it. No one gets into heaven by the skin of their teeth. No one. You get in on the same thing anybody gets in, what Jesus Christ has done for you. You don't just hope by the very, whoo, hope I get in. Nobody does that who knows Jesus. Okay, so, he's got a real pastoral concern. So, what does it look like to accept it? Well, let me give you a verse here. Here is the key to unlocking Hebrews. Hebrews. For we have become partners with Christ. Now, just stop there for a second. The the, the tense of that verb suggests that there was a beginning, just a perfect tense. We We use perfect tense in English. In other words, there's a beginning event and it has lasting results. In other words, Wherever I am right now, it's connected to this event, and there's no break in it. That is him setting up, setting up that there is a beginning that's not disconnected from the end, that somehow there's no middle, but I had a beginning, and so I'll definitely have an end. That's not true. Whatever happened to you here is something that stays with you. It has a result and an impact. It can't can't stop. It's going all the way. So how do we know we have we had something that occurred in the past that is still with us today? How do we know that? If you hold that initial confidence all the way to the end. Do you see that? That's the essence of the book. What you got here stays with you all the way to the end. How do you know? This is my this is this is this is the essence of eternal security. How do you know you have it? Well, I still have faith. In other words, I'm never asking what happened back here. I'm always asking where I am. Remember why he uses Hebrews uses what word? Today. 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 As I go to Italian all way to say it, Today. What are you doing? Today, It's not back here. Because what happened back here, if it was real, hear me, if it was real, according to this, it's going to last until here. So I can always ask the question because I haven't gotten fully there yet. This is today. The way I assess... Whether or not the beginning was real is if what happened here is still true today. Do you see that? We didn't learn that growing up. I didn't learn that in the Baptist church I grew up in. As long as you walked down that aisle, signed a card, and raised your hand and got in the water, you know, put your name on the roll and showed up now and then, you were fine. And you could go off and do whatever you want. And we'd all say to ourselves, well, yeah, but he gave his life to Christ when he was 12. He's going to be fine. That's what we would say. And the writer of Hebrews said, no, 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 no. What'd you hear? So we're, we're all at fault. Me and, and every other pastor who has ever presented the idea that all you got to do is have a good beginning. question is always what you're doing with your faith today. It's it's the struggle. It's where you are now. Let me put it to you. This is how I wrote it in my notes. The validity of past faith is determined by present faith. If it's real, it will last. If it does not last, It wasn't real. Does that make sense? So we're learning that salvation is not just a moment. It's not just a moment, it's a package. This is salvation. In other words, as the way we have presented salvation is, ah, I did what I'm supposed to do at the beginning, I'm done. I'm definitely in on the end. Thank goodness. That's the way we've presented it. The writer of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 it's, it's a package. Faith is not just something you do at the beginning. The whole book of Hebrews is about faith. Faith is the entire process. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. It's the whole thing. It has all of these elements. So, I needed faith to begin. I needed faith to his big word, his major word that goes hand in hand with faith is endure. True faith endures to the end. It's a hard journey. It's not an easy journey. It's a rough road. That's why this is rest at the end. I'm reading a great book right now. I'll share with you more about it next week, but a particular writer that, I, that you know, I've gotten introduced to and really like is just brilliant. And he's trying to make these philosophers like Augustine and even modern philosophers like Charles Taylor uh, accessible to us. Because they, I have their books, but they just write over my head. It's, just, it's hard to understand. So he has taken their data and put it together. And Augustine wrote The City of God. And I've read a little bit of it, but never taken on the whole beast of that. Well, this particular writer's helping tease that out, and he and you remember he wrote the City of God, Augustine, and he and he had this view of us as a, on a journey, and I'll I'll tease that out more for you next week. But um, what he says is we have to adopt something in the middle called a refugee spirituality. Jot that down. That's that's worth remembering. We're going to talk about it next week. It's a refugee spirituality. In other words, I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet. And the refugees, he can't wait to get home. And there's a little difference in that the refugees that we normally describe once left home and now wanting to get back home, we've never been to this home. We're looking forward to a home we've never been to. And so the refugee spirituality is life in between. It's hard, but we're hopeful. That's who we are here. It's really hard, but we're hopeful and we're looking for this to get there. We seek a city that's everlasting. And so, whatever's inside a person who has faith, there's a longing for a place that keeps them on the road, even when it's hard, even when they receive opposition, even when the world looks really appealing. And I love this quote. Speaking of the beginning. Conversion is not an arrival. Conversion is not an arrival at our final destination. It's the acquisition of a compass. You get a compass that leads you to the journey and you keep it and it guides you all the way there. Conversion isn't the end of it all. Conversion gives you the compass that gets you all the way to the end. We gotta tease out what that compass is. We'll start that next week. In the meantime, that's the reason why the writer says this in 13.8. In Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, that's my past, today, and Forever. Do you see that? Here's what he's trying to argue in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is adequate, not just for the beginning. Don't look at Jesus as thank, thank you that you showed up and and forgive me, and forgave me for my sin. That's really all I needed from you. No, what Jesus did is effective. For all the stages, you don't have to remember back when. You can, it's okay to, The only reason that has value is if the faith is real today. Then I can look back here and draw strength. But if my faith isn't real today, in other words, if Jesus isn't what I need today, if I've abandoned him today, then it makes no difference what happened here. That's the argument. What what Jesus did for us, and we've done this. I know we've all... We've grown up in denominations that have done it to us. Pastors have done it. I've done it. We've we've given the impression that as long as you did something a long time ago, that's all that matters. Hebrews won't let you disconnect these. And if it's real, no one has to tell you that. If your faith is real, no one has to tell you that. Like if your faith is strong today, You're going like, well, what's the big deal? It's not a scary message. It's just a fact. If it's real, it'll be powerful today. It'll be be real today, my faith in who Jesus is and what he did for me. And by the way, I'm going to need it at the end too. I'm going to need it all the way through. That's his message here. Now, let me take you back to chapter 10 where I just did that other part, and show you one other thing before I wrap this up and apply it. Look at this, and we're not going to spend a lot of time. I'm just going to show you. Just want you to see it. Remember the former days, he says. So if you're struggling today, here's what he would say to you with the same warning and the same punch. Is it okay if your faith is struggling today? Absolutely. Because our faith does struggle. It is hard. There will be moments when I want to run. I will sometimes do this. What message do you need to hear today? Today. Even about yesterday, he'll say. Remember the former days he's writing to these Hebrews who were doing really well. And then were like shutting down. Remember the former days when you endured, here's his favorite, favorite word. You inverted, it was, it was tough going after you, after you heard the truth, enlightened. At times, you were even publicly exposed to abuse. You were paying a high price. At other times, you came to share with others who were treated in that way. Not only did it happen to you, it happened to people you love, and you came to their aid. You were doing exactly what the faith would require of you to do. Hanging in there and helping others hang in there. That's what the faith looks like. Hanging in there and helping other people hanging in there. It's never just about you hanging in there. And when you were doing that, he's like, do you remember that? That's what anybody in here who's, whose faith is a little weak now. Can you remember when you were doing that? In fact, you shared sufferings with those in prison. You accepted the confiscation of your belongings. People took your stuff. You were fine with it. Because you were heading to a city that lasts. Because you knew that you certainly had, here's his favorite word, a better and lasting possession. You weren't worried about anything of loss here. By the way, that's what beginning faith does to you. It makes your eyes so focused there that you're not focused here. So do you not, so do not throw away your faith, your confidence, your steadfastness, you know, that enduring quality, because it has great reward. It's just, for you need endurance. That's what you need. That's the whole message of the book. You need Endurance. In order to do God's will so you can receive what's promised. You need to hang in there so you make it to the end and get what you were promised. Just a little longer. And he who's coming will arrive. But my righteous one, that's you, will say the next three words for me. You will live by faith. You don't just come to faith. You live by faith. You know how you get through this middle? The same faith that got you in is going to have to keep you in the middle because the middle sucks. Let's just be honest. It's wilderness. You need endurance. That's what you need. Powerful message. Let me see. Here's his encouragement to the crowd. This is the way I would assume looking at you, I would say the same thing to you. We are not among those who shrink back and die. That's what they did in the Old Testament. They left Egypt. They died in the wilderness. You are among those who have faith And preserve their souls. This is the opposite of faith. And the word just means to withdraw. You just slowly, you just this is what it looks like. You came to faith, you were doing really well, then all of a sudden you started to slow down, and then pretty soon you just started to step away. This is what he's describing. And let me just say something about here, just so everybody realizes and say, Man, that's me, or I've done that before. It's not uncommon. That's the reason he's writing the book. Almost every New Testament writer warns of this. What happens when you start taking steps backwards? Any of us. I've done it. You've done it. Don't panic. All he's saying is, okay, you need to get back in gear and start moving again. Don't get to the point where you're hardened so hard You don't even know if you believe anymore, and you're even willing to verbally deny that you ever did it. That's the message. Now, let me apply it to you. Just to you. Even though this is a message for all of Christianity, this is for anyone who follows Christ, anyone who says, I had a beginning So, in case I wasn't clear, I believe in eternal security. We know this phrase here. Once saved, always saved. The only thing Hebrews is saying is once you are truly saved, you are always saved. How do you know if you're truly saved? What did Hebrews 3:14 say? What are you doing today? Not what you did yesterday. Tell me where you're at today. Today is the way to assess your spirituality. Not yesterday. Yesterday can be reflected on. It can be remembered with great passion. I remember when I came to Christ. I remember where I was. I remember who did it. I remember the church I got baptized. I remember my day of baptism. I was 14. I remember the whole thing. I remember all of it. I love reflecting on it. It is a horrible way to assess my life and faith today. So let me apply it to you. It's a message for everyone, but let me show you. If you live in the Bible Belt, this is really... You know, you'd think that uh, if you told me, hey, Pete, uh, there's a church in uh, Massachusetts that would like to uh, have you as their pastor. I go, ah, wow, that's a culture. I don't know if I can handle that culture. I mean, there's nine believers in the whole state. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if I can do it. You know? It's just a different culture than the South. You know, you bring up Jesus there, and they don't have a lot of baggage like we do in the South. Even if you transplant in from someplace else in the country, you get into that Bible Belt, and you're like, holy moly. Jesus is everywhere. I just finished reading a book by Dean and Sarah called The Unsaved Christian. I couldn't help it. Uh, he lists eight time, eight kinds of cultural Christians. People who call themselves Christians are nowhere near what a Christian is. But they call themselves Christians and it feels really real to them. Uh, he calls this the, the Southern Dilemma. They've been exposed to Jesus as a part of their upbringing. Their homes, their politics, their cultures, their school, their churches. There's churches everywhere. So people consider themselves Christians in the South because because the atmosphere is just so sort of Christianized. And so people in the South identify as Christian, many of them. Uh, But they don't necessarily follow Christ but they identify with him because he's been a part of their upbringing. Almost like an imaginary friend. And so I don't read a lot of Flannery O'Connor, Mary Mary Flannery O'Connor. She died a year after I was born in 64. She was born from 25. She lived in the South in Georgia. But her writings, the ones that I have been exposed to, are amazing. She's an American novelist, and she wrote short stories and essays all about people who lived in the South. And uh, so they're they're set in rural south. And here's what she says. Listen to this. See if this doesn't ring true. While the south is hardly Christ-centered, it's mostly Christ-haunted. And so you tease that out. Well, he's kind of everywhere, but he's not really real to everybody. It's ghostly. So he haunts He haunts. He shows up ghost-like at events, traditions, get-togethers. People who won't acknowledge God all year pray at Thanksgiving. I can't tell you how many times I've done a wedding for a young couple that are not living for God at all, but they want Scripture read at their, at their, at their wedding. Or you show up to a funeral in the south, and it doesn't matter how this person has lived, they're in heaven and aren't we glad. Because that's the, that's, that's the haunting of Jesus. He just shows up in sort of that haunting kind of a way, but never real, almost ghost-like. Christmas and Easter, that's where you got to be, in church. Don't you know that? And Sarah says this, Southerners know God, can't be ignored. He's just like the ghost that lives in your house. So the Christ haunted south has Christ haunted country music. And you can see the Christ haunting in country music. Now please hear me on this. This is very, very important. (laughs) Because I brought up country music twice now in a row. Last week and this week. And I in no way am telling you not to listen to country music. Okay, I'm not telling you that. All I want you to do is hear what, how the South sees Jesus in its Christ haunting sort of, its, its music. Uh, and Sarah points this out. It's really, and I went through and just got a, you know, a bunch of songs. Zach Brown's song, No Hurry. Here's how it reads. This is what it means to be haunted by Jesus. But you don't really know him. You're just haunted by him. So he writes in his song, No Hurry, heaven knows that I ain't perfect. I've raised a little cane. I plan to raise a whole lot more. Before I hear those angels sing, I'm gonna get right with the Lord, but there'll be hell to pay before then. But I ain't in no hurry. In other words, I know he's out there somewhere and I know I'm gonna have to face him one day. That's the haunting, the little ghost of the South. But heaven is so Insignificant. And nobody needs to like rush to change their lives or let Jesus lead them in any way. And I'm just thinking to myself, why not just leave him out of the song? Why did you bring him up anyway? Because it's the southern haunting. He's there, but I'm not gonna let him run my life. But I can't ignore him. This is the south. And for many people, they think they're fine. He thinks he's gonna be fine at the end. So I don't need to be in a hurry. The writer of Hebrews would be gag. I'd have to give him CPR right now. I'd have to give, if he ever heard this song, he'd, have to, he'd need CPR. How about Miranda Lambert's A Heart Like Mine? The whole song, listen to how she starts. I ain't the kind of woman you take home to mama. I ain't the kind to wear no ring. I always get stronger after my second drink. And then the whole rest of the song is Jesus loves me because he knows my heart and his heart's just like mine. It's not my heart gets transformed by Jesus and I become like him. Jesus is just like me. So when I meet him in heaven, he'll meet me with two long-stemmed glasses and toast my coming home. You hear that in church and you're like, have I been singing that song for five, ten years? (laughs) Yeah, that's that southern haunting. That's all it is. Jesus the ghost, who has no impact on anybody's life. The writer of Hebrews... (laughs) This is Jesus was good for me yesterday and hopefully I'll be okay in the future. He's useless in the middle. And then finally, you know this one probably even better. Everyone Wants to Go to Heaven by Kenny Chesney. That's a whole song about a guy who's coming to church on Sunday mornings in the South because that's what Southerners do. But he is not living right at all and he says it. Preacher told me last Sunday, son. You better start living right. Right. You need to quit the women and the whiskey, carrying on all night. You want to hear your name at the end, don't you? That's what the preacher says. He says, yeah, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go now. So I told the preacher, I'll throw in an extra 20. Now, you hear that in here. So he says, look, there's one for everything I did last night. This is how we treat Jesus. I'll just cover it up with a couple of, with a 20. He's even cheap. A 20? Come on, Kenny. (laughs) Someday I want to see those streets of gold in my halo. But I wouldn't mind waiting at least 100 years or so. This is a Jesus that hasn't, this is a Jesus that haunts you, but he doesn't save you. This is a Jesus that haunts you, but he doesn't transform you. This is not the Jesus of the New Testament. And so I wrote this down as a conclusion and I'll be done. Is Jesus haunting you? Is he just some ghost-like figure you can't get out of your head? You acknowledge him in some strange belief at times in your life. He's only there enough to make you feel guilty. Really? You know, make you want to put a 20 in the plate. And you're just really hoping you'll be okay in the end. You acknowledge in some strange, you acknowledge him in some strange belief at different times in your life. He pops up, or you call him up like a seance as a way to sort of appease the ghost that you know you can't ignore. But he's actually, in your mind, hopefully a friendly ghost. And he'll overlook everything that you have done in your life. Let me do what I want. He's just every now and then a sort of eerie presence. He's not real to me. And he's definitely never fully moved into my life or my heart. Well, let me just say this to you. That is not who Jesus wants to be in your life when you come to church on sunday mornings to appease he wants to be real he wants to move all the way into your life he wants to bring power to change your life he doesn't want to be appeased he wants to be worshiped he doesn't want to be he doesn't want to haunt you he wants to transform you he wants in your life today not just yesterday So you're one of those people who really, the only value you've ever really seen in Jesus is what he did for you a long time ago on a cross. And hopefully whatever you did a long time ago will be enough to get you in at the end. But there's nothing going on today. Listen, the middle's not easy. It's a tougher journey. It's the reason we do discipleship classes. It's the reason we tell you to get in community. It's the reason we kill ourselves. Literally, staff knock themselves out to give you opportunities to grow so that you don't get stuck and rely on some yesterday. Because none of us can do that. Not a one of us can do that. Not me, not you not one of us our strength our faith is strong enough to make it in the middle without each other and without in discipleship none of us can do it you need to learn how Jesus and what he did for you can get you through today now listen it's just a tease for the coming weeks, got to have a refugee spirituality all right let 's bow our heads, Father we've your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, and I just want to say to you uh, I just want you to know how much I love you. I think the writer of the Hebrews loved the people he was talking to. The other thing I love about him is he believed the best in them. He just knew they wouldn't withdraw. And I want to challenge you with the same thing. Your faith a little weak, that's okay. But you can't let that go. You can't neglect what God has done for you. You've somehow got to be, all I'm doing today is calling you forward. I'm just calling you to take steps forward. Maybe you've been moving backwards. I'm just calling you to make steps forward. And if you've relied on a Jesus, your your whole Christian life is based on a yesterday and not today. Something's not healthy there. And you need to figure that out that you don't have a longing in your heart for the home that God has waiting for us. is devastating. Father, I lift up everyone in this room that they'll figure out where they're at and what they need to do about it. As we tease out what life in the middle looks like in the coming weeks, draw us in. Show us that your son is enough. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.